Greetings, everyone. This is Pastor Mike. Thanks for joining me today. Um, I'm here at home in one of the upstairs rooms of my house with my Bible open to Ezra chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 3 through 7. When I heard this, I tore my tunic and cloak, pulled hair from my head and beard, and sat down appalled. Then everyone who trembled at the words of God, of the God of Israel, gathered around me because of this unfaithfulness of the exiles. And I sat there appalled until the evening sacrifice. Then at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my self-abasement with my tunic and cloak torn and fell on my knees with my hands spread out to the Lord, my God, and prayed, I am too ashamed and disgraced, my God, to lift up my face to you because our sins are higher than our heads and our guilt has reached to the heavens. From the days of our ancestors until now, our guilt has been great. Because of our sins, we and our kings and our priests have been subjected to the sword and captivity, to pillage and humiliation at the hand of foreign kings as it is today. So, wow. I know that's an encouraging scripture to start the day, isn't it? <laughs> but we've begun a series on prayer and how nothing will happen to advance the kingdom of God without fervent, focused, and unified prayer. Transformation is only possible in my life or in my home or in my city when I allow God to align my heart with his. This begins with humility. And as God moves in my heart through his spirit, we begin to feel the desperation of not only our own circumstance, but of the world around us. God wants to heal our land. God wants to heal our marriage, heal our lives. The trailhead that sets us on that path is called humility. Ezra is a wonderful example of this. I was reading a, a beautiful article by a brother named Larry Lane entitled My Confession, where he was commenting on this passage of Scripture in Ezra 9 and 10. And this is what he says. Sometime after Ezra's return to Jerusalem, the leaders of Israel came to Ezra to inform him of the compromises the people had made, intermarrying with their pagan neighbors. First and foremost, this was a clear violation of the commands of the law. The response of Ezra to this news is instructive and convicting. Upon hearing this word, Ezra tore his tunic and cloak and pulled hair from his head and beard. And although this is a Middle Eastern custom that we don't practice, the symbolism is powerful for us. The rending of garments and the painful pulling of hair is an outward reflection of a heart torn and in pain. Ezra declares, I sat there appalled until the evening sacrifice. He just sat there for hours, letting the seriousness, the pain, the implications, and the fear of God's judgment coming once again fill his heart and mind. Then at the evening sacrifice, chapter 10 of Ezra records 
that Ezra was praying, confessing, weeping, and throwing himself down before the house of God. His prayer begins with, Oh my God, I am too ashamed and disgraced to lift up my face to you. My God, because our sins are higher than our heads and our guilt has reached the heavens. The rest of his prayer is filled with our sins, our guilt, our evil deeds. There is not a shred of blame or harsh criticism. He owns the sins of his people. One of the dangers that we face is that we can become a critical observer instead of a broken-hearted intercessor. The response of a callous heart reveals how much we are part of the problem, nowhere close to being the solution. Do we weep before the altar or write Facebook posts? I should know better. The kind of response that has brought revival breakthrough throughout church history is exactly that of Ezra. But this is my confession. I cannot work up tears or shatter my own heart. I could and should, like Ezra, sit quietly to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal the seriousness of this hour. We do not need more leaders to critique the church. We need leaders who cry out for the church. We need fewer writers and more weepers. This is something we can never fake or work up on our own. It originates in God's heart and must migrate to ours. I was moved by the, both the truth and the honesty of this word. This is what intercession is. It's taking our place in the gap between a just, holy, and loving God and a lost, sinful people. It's not just saying, I won't let go until you bless me like Jacob, but I will not let go until your presence touches and transforms the lives of the people around me. My people, my city, my nation. Ezra shows for us this progression from fervent prayer to focused prayer. Let's spend time in God's presence today and respond to his heart and his vision. You might ask, why would I put myself through that? But when God truly gives you a vision, that vision will own you. And there are two visions that are both as impactful because there are two potential outcomes. One is for the death and judgment of people and nations. The other is for life and the fulfillment of the God-given purpose and destiny for every person and nation. We are praying not just for the holding off of the former, but for the ushering in of the latter. So I'd like to invite you to join me and let's take our place in the gap today and intercede like Ezra did for a lost world. Amen.